So, if you would, turn with me to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, we're going to look at what we would refer as the, what, what we would call the Christmas story. Let me pray. Father, again, I thank you. I thank you for your word. Thank you for the miracles that it reveals to us. The miracle of your son, the miracle of his birth, the miracle of his life, the gospel, Lord. I pray, God, that we would always remember how incredible that is. And that you would remind us today how incredible that birth of Christ is, Lord. And I pray, God, that today that, that there's many emotions in this time of year for, for so many different people. God, I pray that you would give all joy, all of your people joy, because I know it can be a struggle, Lord, for some, and I just pray, God, um, that they would find their joy in Christ and Him alone, that we would all find our joy in Christ, and that the circumstances on this earth are temporary, and you would remind us of that this morning, of one that is worthy to be praised. In His name I pray, amen. Okay, so there's a, there's a couple of things I'm hoping to bring together to, today. A couple of weeks ago, you heard, if you were here, hopefully you were, Randy Tyler preached on this same message, same type of area here, and he talked quite a bit about the wise men, or not the wise men, he talked quite a bit about the shepherds, and so I'm not going to read. I'm not going to go all through that again. But one of the main things that was amazing about the shepherds was that they were probably the least likely, as far as man's concerned, to be the witnesses of the birth of Christ. They were a lowly profession, and I and I learned at that time when he was preaching. I had never thought about. Part of the reason they were looked down upon so much was because they weren't able to participate in a lot of the religious observances because they couldn't leave their sheep. They had to be with them all the time or the wolves and the bears and the lions would kill them. The hyenas, they were constantly having to fight off predators and so they weren't viewed as religious. They weren't viewed, and not only that, it was, it was just a lowly profession. They lived alone. Or, or it, it was, and it, they smelled like sheep, no doubt. Um, so it was an amazing thing that God came and revealed, the, the angels came and announced the birth of Christ, the birth of the Messiah to the shepherds, and that they were the ones that got to witness that firsthand. It's an incredible thing. And, and, and Randy made the point that, he, he, comes, he comes to the lowly. He comes to the lowly at heart. He comes to our rescue. And we're very thankful that that's the case. And so today I want to look at Matthew 2. And I'm going to read down verse 1 through 12. And we're going to look at another group of people, the wise men. So we'll look at it and we'll, we'll get into it. So... Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, 
he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. And when they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw, and when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then, being divinely warmed in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. So look right there in verse 1. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. And Paul talked about these men a little bit this morning. If you were here, he went into more detail than I were. But who were they? Who were these wise men? There's lots of ideas. And the reality is we don't know a lot about them. The scripture does not deem it necessary to give us all the details about who they were, where they come from. We just know that the word wise men, or it's translated into the New King James as wise men. Um, Some of your translations may just say magi. It's actually from magoi. And as Paul taught this morning, it was originally referred to a class of Persian wise men. Uh, possibly priests of some nature, possibly highly educated, obviously highly educated. Um, sometimes they were interpreters of special signs. They watched the stars intently. Early day astronomers, no doubt. They were interested. So th- there's there's four things that we know about the wise men. Or three things we know, and the fourth one is kind of probable. One is they were interested in signs in the heavens. We know that for sure, because they saw the star, they followed it. And we also heard this morning, we're not exactly sure what the star was. But those things are not on, they're not the point for this morning. But we know this, we know that they were from the east, and that was the direction of Babylon. Um, What would now be Iraq, Baghdad, but that was Babylon. And remember the Babylonians had opportunities to learn of the old scriptures because Daniel became a very influential person in Babylon about 600 years before this. And if you go back and you read about Daniel and you read about um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and the influence that they had would have no doubt been extremely strong. With the things that went on, people would have listened to them, right? They walked around in a fiery furnace. Daniel was put in a lion's den and survived. Those things really happened. And so when he come out of that and he had 
favor with Nebuchadnezzar, the king, his teaching would have no doubt made an impact on that culture. And so it's very possible that these men um, understood that and had read Daniel foretold the Messiah in his own writings, and there was probably other scriptures that they had available. So likely they were from Babylon, but we don't know for sure. But we do know for sure that they were wealthy. The gifts that they gave, gold, frankincense of myrrh, were extremely valuable at the time. Still is, right? Especially gold. Only the wealthy people had any of this, much less enough to give as a gift. And, and like we said this morning, it was very likely that these were large gifts. Like when it, it says when they opened the treasure, I can actually picture like big trunks, right? You didn't bring a gift to a king, you know, a couple of coins. This was an entourage. Whoever they were, they were extremely wealthy. They were extremely important influential, and they went a long ways out of their way to be there. And the fourth thing is that they were likely Gentiles. They were probably not of Jewish descent, although it is possible that there was a remnant of Jews living in Babylon from the Babylonian captivity, but very unlikely. The the likely thing is that these are Gentiles, and I just found that interesting. It's kind of a side note here. The message was originally delivered to the lowly, the lowly Jews, the lowest profession. They're the ones that get to witness it. And then the next ones that we hear about, which was, as we heard this morning, was probably quite some time later. It wasn't actually that night. But the next ones that we hear about, very likely Gentiles. God's operating in the exact opposite way that the Pharisees would have expected him to. And there's many times God operates in the exact opposite way that mankind expects him to. And that's part of the message that we see here today with Emmanuel. This is not, this is not a human message. This is, man doesn't make this kind of thing up. It's divine. But we'll, we'll go on. Now, so now, I want to look at another group. If you'll turn over to Luke chapter 2. So we have the shepherds. We have the wise men, the magi. And now we're going to look at Luke chapter 2 and see another group. Starting in verse 8. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them. And the glory of the Lord shone around about them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Clothes lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. The next group is the heavenly host. The heavenly host. These are created 
spiritual beings of the highest order. These are the highest order of created beings. They, they, they are born with moral judgment and high intelligence. And it's important that we understand a little bit about the angels. They were created for several purposes. I won't go into all of them. But one of the purposes we see here, and that was to deliver messages on behalf of God. <clears throat> the angel comes. He, he's there by himself at first. Delivering the message, there's a baby being born tonight. I, I don't know how they, I don't, I don't, we can't try to pretend like we can get in the mind of angels but um, that's got to be a big honor, right? He's the one that gets to bring the initial message. The Messiah is being born. The one who has been waited on for so long is being born, and I get to stand there and do it. But there's no, there's no jealousy among angels because the rest of them come right in behind and they sing. So one of the, one of the purposes of angels is to deliver Messages on behalf of God. Another one, turn over to Psalm 148. Psalm 148, verse 1 and 2 says, Praise the Lord, praise the Lord from the heavens, praise, praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. One of the purposes of the angels is to worship God Almighty. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. They are put on this earth or put into the, to the spiritual realm. They are created for the purpose of worshiping God Almighty. To serve, and then while you're in the Psalms, 103 as well. One oh three, verse twenty. Bless the Lord, you his angels who excel in strength, who do his word, heeding the voice of his word. So they're created to bring his messages to mankind. They're created to worship him, to praise him, and they're created to do his will. Three main purposes of the angels in creation are those right there, to, to worship him, to do his will, and to bring his messages. And they are amazing creatures. And I, I suggest that we're to love them. Don't you just love the angels? When you go and you read about the cherubim and the things that they do, or you read back in like the Old Testament when Elisha was going to battle and he could see the, the angels surrounding him, you, you just love them. But it would be a great and high, mighty sin to give them anything higher than then that is created being. It is a high sin to worship an angel. Even I'm even going to turn over to Revelation 22 here to make this point. 
because it's going to become very important as we go on. Revelation 22, verse 8 and 9. This is John. He says, Now I, John, saw and heard these things, and when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. And verse 9, Then he said to me, See that you do not do that. For I am your fellow servant, and of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who keep the words of this book, worship God. The angel himself says, Do not worship me. Worship God alone. It's very important that we understand that we do not worship angels, but we do love them. We, don't, we do not worship men or women, but we do love them. We don't worship preachers, but we love them, right? And that's what the point here is. This is the highest magnitude of creation, mighty beings, but they're not to be worshipped. And they themselves say worship God alone. So now we have the shepherds. We have the Magi, and we have the angels, the heavenly host that was there that night. And I want to look at what they all had in common. What did the Magi, the angels, and the shepherds have in common? Turn back over to Matthew. We're going to look at this a little closer. Matthew 2, verse 2. This is the the wise men, the Magi, when they came and they talked to Herod. They came from the east to Jerusalem in verse 2 saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. We have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Skip down to to verse 9 through 11. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold and frankincense and myrrh. They come to worship him. You look at the angels and the shepherds and the magi. They come from completely different backgrounds, completely different cultures, and even from different realms. But they were united in this one person in human history, Jesus. More more specifically, they were united in their worship of Jesus. And I want you to think about this. There are many people still out there that will try to tell you that Jesus is is not God, that Jesus is not divine. If you start hearing that with somebody that names the name of Christian, rebuke them. 
Because if he wasn't God, the angels would not have sang the praises to him, and the magi would not have worshipped him, and they would not have been allowed to. This Jesus, this one that's uniting these three groups of people, was divine. He was God. I want you to picture this. We've heard this story so many times, I think we forget how unbelievably, how unbelievable it actually is. If you look at this from a natural standpoint, it is absurd. So don't be upset when you're sharing this with your friends and your neighbors that are lost. They don't believe it. Don't be upset. It's not a shock. It's absurdity. It's a stumbling block. But, oh, Jesus is there. And he still works. And the power of the Holy Spirit still works on the hearts of men and women. And he will still change those hearts. Worship is defined as to honor or show reverence for as a divine being or supernatural power. It is when we give our deepest affection and highest praise to something. That's what worship is. And so we have a group of extremely wealthy, important, and influential men ride at least 500 miles, over 500 miles on camels to worship a child. To give this unknown. Who's Joseph and Mary? Who is this? They're the ones that are there that are able to talk. Who, who are these people? A carpenter? A young girl? Much controversy surrounding them. And then all of a sudden this entourage of the rich and powerful wealthy men show up with treasures. That's absurd. But not only that, you have a multitude of heavenly hosts singing praises and worshiping a baby. The mightiest of all creation singing and worshiping this baby. A baby born to an extremely poor family. They're singing praises to a baby lying in a livestock trough. It's absurd. But it's true. It's true. What do we get from this? What do we get from seeing these events come together? We get that this was no ordinary baby. Extraordinary does not describe this baby. Remarkable, amazing, special, and incredible, although all true, do not describe this baby. They can't. The words can't be found to fully describe this baby. Isaiah 9, 6 gives a description. It says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And that does not even scratch the surface of describing this baby laying in a manger. What we see with this baby and what we see with the angels and the wise men and the shepherds is that this baby 
is divine. Jesus said himself, remember when he was, he was having a spar off with Satan, when he was fasting in the wilderness, and Satan's tempting him, and he said, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. That's going to be a real problem if Jesus is not God. Because right here, we have the entirety of the heavenly host worshiping this little baby. I don't think the entirety of the heavenly host, we're talking Gabriel, we're talking Michael. I don't think they would have been worshiping out of line. They knew what they were called to do. Psalm 103:20 remember it says bless the Lord you his angels who excel in strength who do his word heeding the voice of his word in this case heeding the voice of the Lord was to worship that little baby and what did they say what was the song Spurgeon calls it the first christmas carol and look at what it said. There's, it, it, it is loaded. So few words, but so much meaning. They said, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. That's the song that the angels sang. This is the song that the multitude of heavenly hosts sang at the announcement of the birth of Christ. Can you imagine why the shepherds were scared? Glorious would have been, it would have been amazing to see that. To see the entirety of the angels singing this song. But that does not compare even minutely to when they walked into that stable and saw that baby laying there in a manger. But there's three things about this song. It gave glory to God. It told of peace on earth. And it was a token of God's goodwill towards man. And you think about these beings that had sang so many times. They had gathered around the throne singing, Holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty. They had sang, they had been there. They had shouted for joy when God laid the foundation of the world. I mean, think about that. They were there. They were present, according to Job. They were present and saw God form the earth. They saw God create the trees, create the heavens, create the stars. And many times they had gathered for worship around the throne of the Almighty. But tonight was different. Spurgeon said... There is no mortal that can ever dream how magnificent was that song. Then note, if angels shouted before and when the world was made, their hallelujah were more full, more strong, more magnificent, if not more hearty, when they saw Jesus Christ born of the Virgin Mary to be man's redeemer. Glory to God in the highest. How amazing is this incarnation of Christ. The whole creation points to God Almighty all the time. The beauty of the lilies of the field, 
They praise God and point to his glory. The magnificent of the sun, the glimmer of the moon, the sparkle of the stars. The Bible says the stars, the heavens declare the majesty of God. And if you don't believe it, go outside when it's a good, clear night. And just look at them. Take some time. Get away from the lights and stare at them. And you'll see the glory of God. You'll see it in nature, in a stream running clean water, in a breath of fresh air on a warm day. God's glory is is being displayed everywhere. And though creation may be a majestic organ of praise, it cannot reach the compass of the golden canticle, the Incarnation. Spurgeon also said that. He said, there's more melody in Jesus in the manger than there is in worlds on worlds rolling their grandeur around the throne of the Most High. More melody in Jesus. Every attribute is now magnified through Christ Jesus. God becomes a man so that he may be just and the justifier of the ungodly. God steps out of his place in heaven and wraps himself in human flesh because of his love for mankind. This is incredible. Let us not forget how incredible this is. And remember this this salvation, this baby born of a virgin, the miracle of miracles. It glorifies God to the highest degree. And it causes the highest of creation to praise Him with all their might. Think about the opposite of that. If there be any part of the message that glorifies man in salvation, it is no gospel at all. You notice the angels, they said glory to God on the high. There's no part for man in this glory. There's no part for you or me or anybody else in this glory. But there's some that would teach these doctrines. There was some that went on, they want to give just a little bit of credit to man. There's some who would like to blend just a little bit of works or just a little bit of obedience with man's salvation. And I'm going to tell you, the angels have no delight in that. There's not a song in the Bible from the angels singing that praise man. They only praise God. And he will share his glory with no other. They sing glory to God in the highest. Look at the next part, peace on earth. I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 3. Probably, most of you know what has happened here. Adam and Eve had sinned. They had gone against the will of God. And in Genesis 3, verse 23, a dark spot in history. 
Genesis 3.23, Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. And, for the, and from that point until this point, there was no peace on earth. There were some individuals who found glimmers of peace through the coming Messiah, for the future fulfillment of the Messiah. Yes, there were. But the offspring of Adam, what his first offspring do? He killed his brother. There was no peace on earth. Wars had been raging between clans and countries. Wars had been raging in men's hearts from that point for all of history until now. But now, peace had come to earth. There was now a man on earth that was at peace with God. You realize we, it is impossible for us to have peace with God. It's an impossibility for us alone to have peace with God. That's what makes the works-based salvation and legalism so just absolutely despicable. Because you can't do it. Period. It's not possible. But now, that night, with the angels singing his praises, he comes and this one has peace. We now have a human being That has peace with God. Because God the Son had become a human. And this was the beginning of the reconciliation. This this Prince of Peace had finally arrived. The The first baby born that was not born under the curse. And this mediator brought with him peace on earth. Because he is peace. And then they finish their song with goodwill towards men. And oh, the great comfort that comes with that statement. The God that had been separated from man has now come near. That's what it means, Emmanuel. God with us. What an incredible thing. The God that for all of history from the time that God kicked him out of the Garden of Eden, he had been separated. You remember in the tabernacle and later in the temple, there was a great heavy veil that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of everybody else. And you could only go in with a blood sacrifice and only once a year. There was, you couldn't approach the throne of God. He was distant. He kept himself distant. Why? Because we were sinners. We couldn't be in his presence with that amount of sin. But now, all of a sudden, on that night, with the shepherds as witnesses and the angels singing praises, we have God with us. He became a man. What great comfort is that we were nearing the time that the veil would be torn and mankind would once again be able to walk in fellowship with God Almighty. And we're there now. 30 years later, we see it happen. God, Jesus, 
died in our place, fulfilling the ultimate righteousness that had to be fulfilled and granting it to those who would believe in Him. We have broken His laws and we continue to break His laws. And what about you? Are you afraid to approach Him? Are you afraid of the scorn? It's a logical fear. However, He has brought goodwill towards men. And it's through this baby born in a manger. And so there's encouragement in that no matter where you are in your life right now. And I know there's times when the holiday seasons can be extremely difficult. You've lost family members. Maybe you have estranged family members that you don't get along with anymore. Or maybe... Maybe it's a reminder of times whenever somebody who has passed away, and and those are difficult times, and we don't take away from that. But I can give you this. God has goodwill towards you. He has goodwill towards mankind. And since he's arrived, since he's arrived, we can see the peace. Anywhere his people go, they bring peace with them. And that is a blessing. So if you're a Christian and you're struggling with those times, I encourage you to think about the, the Christ, the baby, the one that these rich men went six months, maybe a year long journey to give him gold. And you have him available. You can approach his throne with boldness, asking to heal your heart. Ask Him to put your focus on His gospel and on His righteousness. And ask Him to bring new people into your life and make new memories. It's not too late for all of that. God has good will towards men. And maybe you're sitting here and you don't know God. Maybe you've never bowed a knee to Christ. What better day is there than today? What better day is there to realize this baby that was born in a manger and this fuss that we see all over the world called Christmas, there's a meaning behind it that is beyond our understanding. Look to Christ. Look to that baby that grew up and died on behalf of sinners. He has good will towards men, and that's why he came. He came to save us. He came to save mankind. And he's still saving today. Amen. And he proves it here. He proves his goodwill towards men as he exchanges his throne for a manger. As he exchanges the glories of heaven for a livestock stable. That is God in the flesh. That is the baby that was born that night in Bethlehem. That is the one born king of the Jews. He scared Herod. But he has brought many, many sinners near to him. He was a king worthy of worship. He was worthy of worship from the shepherds. Worthy of worship from the Magi, and he is worthy of worship from the angels and heavenly hosts. 
then he is certainly worthy of worship from us. Let's pray. Father, I I just cannot thank you enough. I cannot praise you enough. I cannot, the words do not do justice to the goodness you've given to me, to the goodness that you've given to my family, to the goodness that you've given to the people at Sovereign Grace, the goodness that you've given to mankind through that baby that laid in a manger. And God, I just, I thank you for a renewed vision of that, just a, a reminder of that. God, I pray that the people that are here got the encouragement out of this that I did, God, and I just thank you for the encouragement that you've given me through this word. And I pray, Lord, as we go and we, we, whatever the struggles, whatever the situations, whatever the joys, whatever that we had, that we would give glory to you and that we would trust you in our, with our lives, more importantly, with our souls on this day. In Jesus' name, amen.